Hello, lovely podcast people. Welcome to this week's episode, which actually is a guest appearance of mine. Um, I was interviewed by Anna Skinner on the Body Smart Fitness, well, from Body Smart Fitness, and um, it's a cool episode. One thing I mention a few times within this podcast, I can't really fully remember exactly where and why, but it's my Dublin tour. That's at, at the time of recording that. That's like... I guess, less than a month away, June the 3rd. And we're on third release of tickets, but I haven't done this on my podcast and I'm really sorry because I do forget um, or it's just when releases happen. But I'm going to put a little coupon in today's, this episode's description, just as a sweetener that you can use on those third release tickets in case something I say today and you are available on that date and in and around Dublin or can get to it. Again, Dublin hotels, my goodness, horrific. One attendee said to me, you know, I'm only gonna come until midnight of the after party uh, because I'm flying straight back, I'm not staying over because I would have to remortgage my house to afford the hotel. And I was like, for real, I I feel you. It's um, an, an abomination. Much better to just get these these flights. I'm currently probably just going to stay out all night. The after party venue and everything is uh, sorted. Lots of people have got tickets, so it's going to be cool. But I'm just going to stay out all night and just go straight to the airport because there's no point in me going back to my hotel. It's ridiculous. Um, even though I've paid for it, which is very annoying. Anyway, this podcast uh, covers some cool topics. The the types of clients that Anna and uh, Body Smart Fitness work with are... Uh, like lots of the people who are my followers, so there was questions about PCOS. There was, uh, which again, it was a good discussion, um, or the things that I decided to pull out of my brain at the point I was asked. I think were good and new and interesting for you guys. So I, I asked for this recording that I could give to you guys because I think this went in in somewhere private that they have. Uh, so it's the first time this will be heard. And um, we talked about cravings, which again, a topic that those of you who are practitioners, hopefully hearing some of that, it can just maybe adapt, you, help you adapt some of the way you work with people, some stuff about sugar addiction, just a great discussion. So I really hope you enjoy it. And um, my next podcast next week, I already know because I've already recorded it, is uh, the one on training. And I also remembered something that I forgot to say in that podcast, which is really annoying me. But again, training, if you want to get your arms bigger, booty bigger, whatever body part bigger, again, it has to be muscular, no organs or glands. <laughs> I was trying to think mammary glands. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy this. It's a long one. That's what she said. Uh, she didn't. Um, enjoy. Until next time, much love. Hey, Team Body Smart. I'm super excited. I have a really special guest with me today, and it is Martin McDonald, who is a clinical performance nutritionist, public speaker, and founder of Magnetrition Uni. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Anna. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I really wanted to have you on today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I know... I love following you on Instagram personally. A lot of time you spend really calling out the BS in <laughs> fitness, fitness and nutrition, which I really appreciate. You're very welcome. Yeah, uh, I didn't actually know you followed me on Instagram, so that's cool. <laughs> yes. uh, I, I hope I live up to that in the interview today. Yes, 
Uh, well, I would say definitely in the industry, um, especially with uh, Mac Nutrition Uni. Um, one of our coach, our coach Nas, goes mm. also is uh, taking her courses right now. Mm. Um, and it is definitely nice. We are very similarly here at Body Smart, very into just, again, cutting out the BS around yeah. all the stuff that floats around yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, Nas, he, uh, I think he came to one of my talks in maybe Wales uh, mm. a few years ago, 2019. And uh, I think, I think that was the one he came to, but um, it's cool that he's now taking the qualifications. So um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So I just want to ask you if you wouldn't mind sharing for those who may not know or follow you on Instagram or just sort of know about the work that you do, would you mind just sort of give me a little bit of like history and, and mm. what you've been up to? Yeah, uh, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. Um, I guess my my initial background was in performance nutrition. So kind of all of my degree and master's led me towards that doing. Um, and I, I competed in natural bodybuilding in my younger years. Um, I wasn't very good at it. But it was uh, mainly f my love of, I guess, the human body um, and then really got into the way nutrition could affect the body and um but then having done that and uh, i'll be totally honest i essentially when, when people see a six-pack right they go oh this person not, must know what they're talking about mm. and realistically i mean you and i both know that's not the case and and you know back then i essentially starved myself for 12 weeks you know took all my body hair off put on a pair of speedos and got on stage like it's like oh wow you must be knowledgeable it's like no i feel like death um <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, if I did it now, I'd do it totally differently and was kind of listening to the main voices in the industry back then, which were not very good voices. And, um, you know, people even in this day and age, people are still giving themselves really bad eating issues because of lots of the, you know, as you refer to it, BS out there. And um, so my work initially was with athletes. So, um, you know, Olympians and professional athletes and those kind of things. But because of my background, in bodybuilding very much lots of conversations and so i work with the olympic gb olympic weightlifting team for a few olympics and lots of that was like around the weight making type stuff <clears throat> and whenever that gets kind of media interest it then led me to i worked with a few celebrities who wanted to get in shape lose weight and, and you know be strong and my own interest in in kind of weights myself kind of made me a good fit for those sorts of things and then I think just as I matured I wanted to help people more than I just wanted to get people jacked or get them to lift a bit more run a bit faster so uh, and just seeing people that I could help and so that I ended up doing that in a postgraduate in clinical nutrition and um, that kind of just then opened this whole new avenue for um, and alongside as well, my love of public speaking um, and, and just education in general. So I was a university lecturer mm. and um, for many years and then but some of the red tape and, and I didn't really like that too much. And I just love people interacting with people. So that kind of just led me to where then having my consultancy, Mac Nutrition, and then, you know, we were working with all sort of kind of corporate nutrition, health nutrition, performance nutrition. And then just through social media, I guess, has led to where the present day where educating then online just kind of as you said calling out the bs it's yeah. it tends to gain traction um 
you know, by mistake, really, I, I very much am not someone who can plan their social media. It's just if I get annoyed at someone misleading people, it's just like a passionate thing of just like this needs to stop. And so um, my personality leads me to be able to call people out, maybe even a bit ahead of my years, as it were. I maybe shouldn't have been calling out various kind of big organizations uh, at the age I was back then. But then I think just people appreciated that kind of candidness of mm. when I started, really, the industry was very low fat, especially in the sport. You know, people yeah. might not believe this, but in the performance nutrition world, the the kind of athletes, not fitness industry um the kind of athlete world it's very low fat dogma so I was kind of fighting that dogma whereas now I feel like I don't know if you feel the same same but I feel like I'm fighting the low carb dogma much more than the low fat dogma yeah um so anyway it just led to me then becoming a bit of an educator in the industry educating lots of personal trainers and 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 then you know Matt Nutrition Uni you mentioned is our qualification that ended up being created in 2016 and that just then really is what I now do. I, 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 the only nutrition I manage to do really is the education, the public speaking rather than working with one-to-one clients, but it's still nice to be able to have, even through Instagram, I still get these testimonials. And, um, I mentioned about the, the tour, uh, that Naz came on, I'm doing one in, in Dublin this year. And just, that's my touch point of being able to Really, it's more of a hobby for me. It's on the weekends, the tour dates, and um, it's it's never there as like a business thing. It's very right. much just to, for me to break even, to be able to pay for all the venue and the food and everything, mm. everyone, and then just to get to meet people. And I guess I feel like it's a bit giving back, but I just very much enjoy it, the kind of making the education enjoyable. Um, and then the day job now to bring us up to date is really just the qualification and, and the teaching on that. Nice. Well, it's it's... You've been able to, you know, scale things to where you can help more and more people, not only us as coaches, as trainers and things like that, but then with your public speaking and helping even the general public, like you mentioned mm. your, I believe June 3rd is uh, a date you have in Dublin. Yes, June 3rd in Dublin. Yeah. So it's a, I think it's a public holiday there, bank holiday. So it's, it's always nice because we always put on a, like, we call it an after party, but essentially right. a social aspect after the because it's a full day of talks and really it's the culmination of everything from working with private clients over 10 years of what I think people need to know and I think because of COVID lots of stuff I was in New York and Toronto and Dublin was yeah. supposed to happen in 2020 so it's the first one back so there's some content that I need to update um, in terms of making it relevant like what's the loudest thing at the minute in terms of that people are being misled on and so things like continuous glucose monitoring and personalized nutrition and some of the gut health stuff that's really just confusing people misleading people lots of people out to make money um instead of help people yeah i would agree mm. well also i will pop that info when i yeah, cool. bring this out so anyone any of our clients watching i will link that as well um cool, all right you. well do you know what i kind of picked a few questions i wanted to ask you mm -hmm. now these are things that i see you talk about online um and also things that i know some of our clients i've i talked to them about i see it i see that the thing you know the issues and things like that so mm -hmm. i'm just gonna dive right in sure 
Um, okay, the first one is, and one I know that you're pretty passionate about and that you talk about quite a bit is PCOS. And mm -hmm. specifically, there's so much about PCOS diets and mis misinformation around nutrition. Yeah. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that maybe and just share some actual evidence-based, you know, helpful advice. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, God, what, yeah, an absolute minefield. Um, <laughs> I suppose I'll just start with like you said there about some of the misinformation. I think very much with PCOS, what I, over the years of educating people in, like you said, educating trainers, it's quite nice to hear about the successes that they are then having with their clients. I sort mm. of like living vicariously through their success because it's really nice. I think, you know, you'll know this when you help people. It's just you get that, you know, sense of accomplishment, whereas not working with clients now, I, I don't get that yeah. nice warm feeling yeah. always that you get uh I do miss it but you know being able to you know people will send me you know thank you so much or we'll get posts in the mentoring lab thank you so much my clients just had a baby she didn't think she'd be able to she had PCOS and I've implemented the advice and the, the thing that strikes me so often is this the simplification of the advice is often what helps these people so I'll talk about some of the like maybe high level and people really want that golden ticket that magic key yeah. that special supplement um and it's not sexy and, and this is something that we teach on Mac Nutrition Uni is you still need to make boring stuff or simple stuff sexy so if you just go eat some vegetables <laughs> people just like I've tried that and sometimes they actually haven't. Um, but it's it's also making sure you're talking about stuff that really helps their situation. So with PCOS, there's a general understanding that maybe there's something to do with carbohydrates there. There's this um, inherent insulin resistance um, in individuals with PCOS. So if you match a, a group of individuals with PCOS, and a group of individuals without, but the same BMI. And, you know, I'm not going to go into the issues with BMI, but I think most yeah. people, probably lots of your clients listen to you and know that it's probably not the best thing, but it's as a crude measure, even if we match them for body fat levels, the individuals with PCOS would have higher insulin uh, resistance. So there is this innate um, elevated insulin resistance. And so, um, and typically people are like, okay, there's some interaction with carbohydrate. Now, the problem is, is often people go, carbohydrates make you insulin resistant, which is not true. Mm -hmm. uh, categorically incorrect. Um, there's also this idea that if you're insulin resistant, you cannot eat carbohydrate, which again is incorrect. Um, you know, I, I've done some quite... Um, high-level debates that are online. People can Google those. Um about the kind of like keto zealots, low carb zealots, like yeah. leaders in this industry, professors who are like, everyone needs to be keto. It's the only thing that's going to help them. And, you know, they're not able to cite a single study and even admit it. You know, the research doesn't support this, but this is the answer. And I'm like, what are you basing that on? And essentially, yeah, it's <laughs> personal opinion, it's personal experience, it's a belief, it becomes a religion. Um, and I'm not anti-keto, which is kind of the point I'm going to make here is I'm not anti-keto. Um, so eating a ketogenic diet with a very, very low carbohydrate content. Um, if it's something that genuinely helps someone and it's and, and really, I 
my belief is it doesn't suit anyone. People fool themselves into thinking it does. And they have friends who are keto and they're part of Facebook groups who are all keto. So if they stop being keto, they kind of lose all their friends, which um, is actually a big part of uh, people need to think about that when they're calling out information is sometimes all the science in the world isn't going to change someone's life because they don't want to lose that religious connection they have to that diet or whatever i agree there i would actually say a lot of that becomes something you know when you get intermittent fasters as well it's that identity sense of belonging sense of community like i am this person and you can't take that away from me because then what am i and also if i fail and then admit (laughs) that i was maybe wrong Wrong. (laughs) yeah it's so true you know people forget that there is you you use the word identity there And un- unfortunately, that's something you have to unpack with with people. Um, and it's great if they can join a new community, if the new community is an evidence-based community or, or a new community of flexible dieting, for instance, is, is yeah. a slightly more acceptable term. Um, so you don't need to go keto. That's that's a big myth. Uh, I've, I've done um, posts on my Instagram about the kind of dairy myth, the gluten myth. So, you know, there's there's really no evidence um, at all that in groups of um, individuals uh, with PCOS that going dairy free or gluten free will improve their um, symptoms, their diet, their prognosis. Um, there is one study on I think it was a dairy-free, gluten-free diet in a small uh, group of individuals. It's the only study that exists um, and it's the one that always gets referenced. And unfortunately, in this study, they had no control group uh, that wasn't dairy-free or carbohydrate-free. But they also, I I believe it was either, it was around a 1500 calorie deficit. So you imagine someone minuses 1,500 calories from their diet. And we know that the, the one thing that may help an individual with uh, high levels of body fat who has PCOS is losing body fat. So you restrict energy by that amount, they're going to get better. So in this study they showed, and what was also interesting in this study was they it was dairy free, but they allowed them, I can't remember how many grams, but every single day they were allowed a certain number of grams. I think it might have been 50 grams of full fat cheese, which I'm like, well, it's not a dairy free diet then. Um, yeah. And, but also it's kind of cool. It's like, yeah, eat some cheese and it's happy days. And, you know, most yeah. uh, clients that I've worked with where I tell them they can eat cheese, they're like, I love you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually did a, an Instagram video. I don't know if you saw it, but uh, pretended that people were throwing like their bras at me when I told them they could <laughs> eat cheese and bread. Um, yeah, I mean, cheese is great. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, th- those those are some key myths with regards to PCOS. So, coming on to like advice that is helpful, um, I, I don't typically like the word moderate or moderation um, because moderation to one person is something, it means something very different to someone else. So you often hear kind of, and I'll even use this term as well, like moderate your carbohydrate intake, but it's not overly helpful. But what we're talking about is potentially reducing the amount that you have. So, but it's not even necessarily cutting out. So often when people are maybe focused on calories and and even potentially a bit over-focused on calories, um, they're picking something like um, 
low fat popcorn, you know, just like, oh, this is a low calorie snack. Um, not overly nutritious and certainly not bad for you, but it's a very purely carbohydrate snack. Um, the reason I mentioned it's not overly nutritious is, is fruit. There might be something helpful with regards to fruit in PCOS, maybe, right. but so I don't pick that one as a very kind of mostly carbohydrate snack, but something like low calorie popcorn. Someone might be like, you know, it's uh, low calorie, it's easy, it's snacky. Mm -hmm. um, swapping that for something like, for instance, nuts um, is will lower the percentage of carbohydrate in your diet overall. And this is what the researchers looked at. Like you can get statistically significant, measurable improvements in um, various domains of PCOS through reducing your carbohydrate intake to 43% of your, of your energy intake that, you know, I'm thinking of one, I think it's Moran et al um, study. And when you, when you talk about that, it's like, geez, that's not low carb. You know, people, the people cite that study and go, you need to go low carb. And it's like 40, that's almost half my calories from carbs. It's not a low carb diet. It's not yeah. certainly not a keto diet. Um, so, but it is something like, okay, um, but then if you are someone who needs to um, uh, lose body fat to improve insulin resistance, let's say you've, you've let your body weight track up over time and it's worsening a PCOS and you think, you know, I've not been good with my exercise. I've not been good with my eating. I want to just improve those in general. Well, we need to also, so energy intake is another one in that situation, which mm -hmm. is going to help. So it might be a case of, simple portion sizes so when i the reason i'm saying this second is because when you go popcorn to nuts you're, you're like oh that's adding in loads of extra calories um but it's a case of well but it's it's something that will specifically improve pcos and we can look to remove calories from elsewhere so if you're eating right. you know rice or potato or something you don't need to cut it out of the meal but we're just going to reduce the portion size mm -hmm. of those down fill it up with some fid fibrous veg for food volume for instance um and then the other one that's, uh, or, or an even potentially better one, and this is probably the least sexy advice you can ever give someone. Um, and it, I, I guess it's probably one of those things, it's the least well, uh, I don't know if the word's accepted, or essentially when you go include more chickpeas and lentils in your diet, people are like, oh my God. You know, <laughs> even me, if someone says that to me, I'm like, no. Like I'm not going to, and for, for me, I, because we could all do better with consuming more legumes. They're, yeah. they're inherently healthy. They're, they're such a, they're just something really as a Western diet that we've just kind of lost. I would agree. The consumption of it's like, even if you're someone like a healthy, clean, you know, I hate the word clean eater, but if you're, even if you're a clean eater, mm -hmm. people like whole grain rice you know, sweet potatoes, probably the most exotic thing, you know, and it's like, it, we just have forgotten these kind of, all of the legumes mm. um, that, that exist out there. And even just cooking, you know, I'm, I was an okay cook. Um, but I still those uh, wouldn't cook with them. So for me now, it's like if I if I have prep meals, so I, I have a prep meal company that I use regularly mm. and I will specifically pick the meals where they have you know a, a range of those different uh, even just like your know, more um 
exotic grains partly because of just the, the different fiber types you get from those things. Mm. And we know even some of the fibers within those, they, you know, if you look at the research, it, even like flaxseed and lin, or linseed um, is the thing that you'll see come up. Some of the specific, they're called lignans in those foods. This is where you can kind of make the advice a bit more sexy. Right. They, there's a physiological reason they might help with PCOS, which is we get those and then they're binding to, um, uh, or that they're increasing sex hormone binding globulin, which is something that if it's there's lower levels of that, we get higher free testosterone, and some of the negative effects, so like um, facial hair growth, um, acne, these kind of things that um, individuals with PCOS get, we can actually impact and improve those things through consuming those foods. So when it's like, if I could give you a chickpea tablet or I give someone a piece of chip, they would take it. If I go take this tablet, it does this. People would be like all day, give me, yeah. give me the more. Yeah. But you say to someone, eat some chickpeas and they're like, oh, God. <laughs> um, but even, you know, like hummus, just finding ways when I eat at restaurants again, someone's cooking it for me and they're going to make it taste nice. I'll make those choices. Now, if I was in a situation where I really had something I really wanted to improve, improve my fertility, if I was really desperate to have a baby, these kind of things, I'd probably be a bit more motivated. Yeah, and I've worked with the clients who are, I wish I had their motivation. They're such brilliant people. Like I'm like the things I would achieve in life if I had your <laughs> motivation, you know, I've been dealt a much nicer hand of cards than you have. Um, and I'm not making the most of it. Uh, they'll go out and they'll make the, the effort to do those things. Yeah. So for me, those are the three great dietary changes people can make. There, there are others, but we'd be here forever. Yeah. Um, and I guess the other thing I'll just mention is inositol, which I'm, I'm sure you've heard me mention. Yeah. Um, it's a supplement which I, for many, many years I was paying attention to and I, I wasn't convinced by... And, you know, I saw all of the bodybuilders taking it and, you know, way ahead of really the research being strong enough. But it genuinely, I had um, alerts for research for inositol going for about eight to 10 years. And finally, I did this big post saying, I, I just cannot ignore this anymore. I really, the, the, the research is so strong in terms of um, the benefits of inositol. And then, so I did those posts and then I, th I can't remember how many years ago that I did that post, but since then it's just been like floodgates, like every, everyone, every trainer, every nutritionist, everyone who's read that post has then been recommending it. And yeah. that's when I'm getting all of these success stories of, you know, even members of staff of mine started taking it, who, amen, are in, and just like my periods come back and it, mm. you know, it's like, too much information but my pit it, it was more like i hate you and i was like why and it's like <laughs> come back but, but it's a good thing <laughs> it's a good thing yeah and just um so yeah that that's the other one again if people google martin mcdonald and yeah. Toll, you, all of it will come up i won't go into too much and waste people's time yeah definitely and i would say check that out um again i will link your instagram as well some really great posts on that specifically if um you are a person that are is suffering with it. In fact, I have a couple clients that I am working with right now. And, but a lot of what we said in the beginning, a lot of uh, changes already just from reduction in body fat has already, mm. you know, we are already yeah. seeing things change. So I think you're right at the top of it, just saying like, um, working on the basics and obviously losing weight. And then there's the other things like the small changes. And I, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's really interesting. Mm. Thanks.
Um, okay, so next question. I want to just talk a little bit about supplementation, um, specifically collagen. I have a, I think, is it Vital Vital Peptides? I can't think of the name of the company, but it got really big. A lot of our clients are from America, and it's a really particularly popular one over the last few years to take collagen. Um, I do, I obviously already have my opinion on supplements and things, <laughs> um, but I would actually just like to hear, like, if you would recommend any, what, what would you recommend bothering with? Mm. Well, should I, should I talk about collagen? Or? Let's talk about that first, yes. Okay. Yeah, cool. Um, funnily, I did a, um, it's, it's a long, long time ago. Uh, I did a podcast on collagen. Oh. And um, it's on, If again, if you want to search it, my podcast, I hope you don't mind me mentioning it, not another nutrition podcast. Um, yeah, it's probably a couple of years old now but the, the the evidence hasn't changed like I don't know what your beliefs are so uh you don't have to tell me and because then I'll be more impartial because if you're like I love it it's amazing this is why I've got such glowing skin Go ahead. Um, but there's there's lots of myths around collagen um and again people can go it's a, it's only a short podcast but I link to the research and and stuff but there's a big thing and I think it's just People just want to make money in this world, sadly. Yeah. And it's a bit like CBD. I think that that was massive in America. When, yeah. when I went to uh, California, there's like just, it was just everywhere. It is. And the, just, the research is not there, but the claims are ridiculous in terms of what it apparently can do. Um, and the same with collagen. So people talking about gut health. I don't even really know where that came from. But obviously with gut health being such a big buzzword, you just go, oh, this supplement helps gut health. And then just everyone buys it. So it's probably one of the reasons, um, you know, people would, oh, you should have bone broth because of collagen. And again, it's just not a great source of collagen. Um, very hit and miss. Um, co collagen supplements, I don't know that company that you mentioned, but they're very, very expensive, hugely mm. overpriced for what it is. Like you can just go online and buy bulk collagen and it's cheap. And yeah. it's no different from the collagen you're getting in that fancy, shiny, often, what do they call it? The, um, is it the, the female tax or the women's tax or something? Just anything that's a female. Yeah, and they make it like pink because <laughs> obviously we'll like that, it more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's what I was about to say. It'll be like a shiny pink label and it'll be like improve your hair, skin, nails, da, da, da. And it'll be mega expensive. And again, the placebo of buying something expensive, it works. Um, people think it'll be better, so they buy it. Now, collagen and gelatin, which can be found everywhere. Like I'm a massive, massive gummy sweet fan. Like mm. I eat so many gummy sweets. Um, and like, there's so much gelatin in those and the bioavailability of them both is like very, very similar. And, and so realistically as well, there's an argument again on that podcast, actually in the show notes, I linked to a recipe by a researcher who's done lots of stuff on collagen. And he actually created a recipe to make your own um, collagen gelatin cubes. They're just like basically jelly cubes. Yeah. Um, and there's like 16 grams of collagen per, or I can't remember which one it is per cube. And it's like a hundredth of the price of you're paying for these expensive supplements. Yeah. Now coming on to what it actually does, the evidence isn't there for improving your hair. The evidence isn't there for improving your nails. The evidence isn't there for doing anything for your gut. 
there is weirdly, and this this was one thing because I just had so many listener questions about it, mm. um, and I I had sort of seen murmurings and I seen it being big, so I, but I hadn't done any good digging, and obviously, I'm not a dermatologist. Um, you know, it's not an area where I have had loads of clients like, I want to make my skin nicer. And so I've done loads of research, but I ended up just doing all of this and actually digging into that. And again, you just, all these journals that are specific to that area. Again, lots of them were really looking at, okay, if you've got actual dermatological issues, can these things help people with like really much more serious things than I want anti-aging, which is really why a lot of uh, clients are like, I want my skin to not have wrinkles. And rather than, you know, I've got psoriasis or something, but actually weirdly, I, I was surprised that the, the evidence seems to support a small but significant benefit for skin, um, with collagen or alternatively it could be gelatin supplementation Mm. um again i talk about all of the dosages um in the podcast but you know the studies range from like two months to six months and then whether or not you'll be able to see the difference in the mirror i didn't get I, i don't think they're really measuring that in the research but what they are measuring is like skin elasticity Mm. um skin hydration um dermal collagen density so like the actual amount of collagen in the skin and that they're all improving um so weirdly i kind of want to be like don't buy it it's all a scam (laughs) but (laughs) but uh, i think people are being oversold it's overpriced but actually if you've got the financial freedom to be able to buy it i don't go and waste your money on the really expensive ones don't give money to people who are just ripping people off but yeah if it's something you care about um and it and specifically it's only maybe going to help skin slightly but but then also bearing in mind if you really care probably something that has a much greater magnitude of effect is like using spf yeah Um, i was just gonna that was gonna be my next thing i was like really it's kind of like putting like a plaster on the situation yeah 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 it's kind of yeah yeah. but but i also do understand i like i like to meet clients where they're at because often it's like what can i do for this and you're like stop drinking alcohol and they're like that'll ruin my life (laughs) and then it's like well but but you can take this supplement that will slightly improve things. So it is a case of like the if you really really care and you want to make a difference, this you know UV damage on your skin is much more aging. But if you want to maybe do a bit of both, you don't want to completely stay out of the sun. You do want a bit of a tan on your face. You know you can maybe look at that side of things yeah. and then also maybe use the collagen. But it's not going to be a game changer. That's my answer. And do do you want me to talk about other supplements as well? Like Yeah, even if there's just what you I mean, if there's so many out there, it's kind mm. of part of we we're talking about collagen, all the things mm. out there. And, you know, maybe ones that you would say don't waste your time with. I know this can be a huge long answer, right? <laughs> yeah. I get I get that. It's like a whole can of worms, but I don't know. Yeah. If there's like a short version of like ones you would say definitely don't bother with, ones eh. Yeah. So I think the list, the list of supplements, you're right, um, is like an ever never ending list of supplements you just shouldn't bother with. Like, <laughs> there's just, there's just going to be a new one tomorrow that I miss. So it's much easier to discuss how to, I guess, make choices. Hmm. So um, t- 
typically, you know, it's things that we know are going to benefit us. And do you know what? I, I almost want to put a, 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 an iCal reminder to myself, like twice a year to remind people about vitamin D. Because, um, you know, when you've got the government, I don't particularly like lots of what the government does with regards to nutrition. I think it could be done a lot better, worded differently, um, making broad brushstroke recommendations that don't need to be made. I like the countries where the government's nutrition recommendations, they keep it very general. And, and the advice, you know, a bit like drink enough so that you're not thirsty or, or to like, so that your urine's not really dark. You can apply that across the board, but going like the majority of your diet should be based on carbohydrate is so exclusive and unnecessary. Like you don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. But the one thing the government does get right is around uh, vitamin D and even supplementation in children. And I think it's often a thing of like, there is a general nice guideline. So the National Institute of Clinical uh, excellence um i think uh but basically you know very very well respected in terms of where we get our clinical guidance from of giving young children vitamin d supplementation and it's very very easy to forget you know if your children are ones that don't have fortified cereal or your cereal's not fortified um your your children are maybe having like porridge or whatever they they'll be missing out on these things that are you know, we're not getting enough. Like in this day and age, sadly, I don't know if this is the same way you are, but in the UK, there's certain schools who will not let children go outside for 15 minutes unless they've got sun cream on. Yeah, I I also live in the UK, American, but live here in the UK. And That's yeah, right. I experienced that. I have a daughter and it's, it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> like, so especially nowadays, we're so conscious of the sun, which is good, but it's almost you go the other way where yeah. we actually do need some vitamin we don't, D too. Yeah, we don't even have healthy sun exposure. No. So uh, there, there's a, uh, a vitamin D research and his kid was basically not allowed out of playtime because he didn't give, uh, send them off with the right SPF or, or any, and it was just like, and it was like, I'm an expert in this area, like <laughs> oh. let my kid. So it, it, it is a bit crazy. But anyway, so vitamin D, I think is one that, people should pay attention to um with modern lifestyles it's we know that the level of vitamin d deficiency is at a level where you know there's been even discussions about should we have vitamin d in the water supply you know and that raises loads yeah. of questions etc but it's one that people should definitely pay attention to i'm not saying blanket supplementation but pay attention to um if if you're one of these people who's lucky enough to be able to get your bloods tested cool that's one but it's not a typical one like if you go get your bloods it's yeah. it's an additional people sometimes you know we we had lots of clients just paying a bit extra to see a just a private gp to just get that added on um so vitamin d fish oils is the other one where um while so vitamin d is very hard to get from diet so it's very much a conversation around supplementation brilliant fish oils is another one where i think the it's a valid conversation to have because so many people don't like oily fish. Um, it's one of those ones that it's a bit like the, a Marmite. You yeah. either love it or you hate it. So if you are someone who does not eat oily fish, whether that's from being uh, you know, vegan or vegetarian, or you're an omnivore who just doesn't eat oily fish because you don't like the taste of it, very important um, nutrients being missed, your essential fatty acids, 
um, especially again talking about kind of children, teenagers, and whatever, and and you know, in terms of health, healthy aging through the life cycle. Um, so that's another important one. Those there's two, and then um, I think a key one to say is supplementation above and beyond that. You get to like the level of targeted supplementation mm. um so people going should i take this should i take that and really it comes down to then your individual situation why what are you missing you know should i be taking b vitamins well b vitamins are so easy to eat yeah um unless you have a very specific dietary requirement such as veganism that you've chosen mm. to eat that way um the other one, actually, I will mention is creatine. Yeah, um, I, was gonna, I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny one. Like I did, uh, God, it, I don't even know how many episodes on my podcast I had. So, like, people started to calling me the creatine guy, which is mad that it wasn't the first one I said. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I must have done between six and ten episodes on creatine, you know, because I have questions around creatine for children, teenagers. At what point are you a, an adult or a teenager? Um, creatine for because there's all of this stuff about um, the cognitive benefits of creatine, um, you know, vegetarians and vegans benefiting m even more than omnivores. I even actually saw something. I'm trying to think where I saw this, but someone talking about it being classified as an essential nutrient or something um i'll actually have to come back to you on that because uh, i don't know if it was just a bit of a someone's just ramblings right. but at the same time because it's so important we have creatine stores in our brain as well as our muscles typically it's like oh i want to get big and strong so i'm going to take creatine but the the benefits of creatine are far like in terms of um traumatic brain injury creatine is you know uh, like almost like a medicine um, it's so useful in the recovery. But again, in terms of potentially some of our neurodegenerative disorders, it could be helpful. Yeah. Um, sleep deprivation, which again, just modern lifestyles uh, is impacting cognitive function, creating can undermine that. So like new mothers uh, and fathers with sleep deprivation, creating could be a helpful thing there. So honestly, the impact of it is so wide ranging that it's just one of those things that I probably would would almost blanket supplement someone. Like if someone came to me and it was like, I want to do get healthy. I want to get stronger. I want to get leaner. I want to get faster. Like the, what creatine does for you, it's a bit like going, you want to spend 10 weeks in the gym doing this and then you want to maintain for the rest of your life. Do you want to achieve this or this? Why would I check the choose the lower one, or I want to put in loads and loads of effort for a bit and then maintain. Okay, do you want to do that quicker or do you want it to take longer? You know, well, why would I choose the quicker or longer? Okay, well, I have a completely natural, healthy way you can do that and it's called creatine. You'll get more bang for your buck out of every gym session because you're taking it. Mm. Well, yeah, why wouldn't I take it? It's cheap, it's healthy, it doesn't damage your kidneys, you know, all of these things. So, yeah, I think creatine is, is up there. It, so we'll go, those are my top three, fish oil, vitamin D, creatine. And then everything else is just targeted. Yeah. It's why are you anemic? Well, of course, think about iron, but definitely don't start supplementing iron if you're not, you know, testing blood levels. Like these things, these minerals, they, you, 
you can get to levels of toxicity it, yeah quite exactly. easily i think it gets when you get the wellness craze right of you know um that's out there that whole side of the diet culture um and you'll see somebody with this huge stack of things that they're taking every day and you're like you should be getting that from your food <laughs> let's yeah. say most of it and and you're right i would say first look at your food <laughs> and if you're not getting it there why are there some lifestyle changes we could work on with that? Yeah, I would. Um, I'm really glad that those would be like the three. I think I would also say definitely creatine, especially with women. I know we can get a little. Some women can get quite nervous about oh creatine on bodybuilders. I can't do that. Yeah. yeah um. Yeah. So oh, it was awesome that you uh, back that up. Yeah. Cool. Um. Okay. I had one more question. I know we were kind of going long on time here, so I might just right. I ask you a. Uh, this is the last one, but basically, yeah. what I want to touch on is sugar. Obviously, it is very much demonized in general. Um, I guess when talking about is it actually addictive? And then any like practical advice on on reducing sugar intake or cravings, mm. really? Mm. <laughs> yeah, so sugar is such a wild one, isn't it? The uh, the um, you try and you really can't win with it. There's always someone with a bias one way or the other. And I think I will, I guess I will say that, that for anyone listening, I don't know exactly what your listenership is made up of, but there's, there's often this thing where you're trying to like, I like uh, this situation where people can hear what's said and not feel judged. Like if you're talking to an individual, you know, you're, you're replying to a comment on Instagram or whatever that that someone can feel like personally attacked like you know you're not seeing me you're not hearing me you're not this is me oh i'm different i'm a snowflake whatever um so when when i say sugar's not addictive so again and i would say that for any it, say a trainer is listening to me saying to your client if your client comes to you and says i'm addicted to sugar going no you're not sugar addiction doesn't exist like you're not showing any empathy and I, like <laughs> As much as some people go, oh, yeah, that's obvious. I wouldn't do that. I think there's lots of young people who want to get into the fitness industry. And even if they do want to help people, which I do question that a lot. People go, we're all in this for the same reason. I'm like, we're definitely not. There's a lot of people in this industry who are not in this for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, but it, it's even just a lack of um, understanding and I think as a young person in the industry I, I would have loved to have the mentors that exist today when I started in the industry because the people that would have I would have looked up to or learned from were just some of them just quite terrible human beings I, I'll be frank yeah. um just just out there to make money and be famous and whatever and so you're not really taught empathy you're not really taught to sort of meet clients where they're at it's just like oh you know the whole you know everyone's got 24 hours in the day or or yeah. you know why can't you just prep your food and it's just like it's you know it's, it's just how much how bad you want it and it's like oh my goodness like you have no idea but anyway i'm going off topic so sugar addiction really doesn't exist um it's it can it might feel for some people like they are addicted to it and that's i think part of what the second part of your question speaks to mm. um it's something we need to deal with so th there's just no physiological dependence so i think one thing that can be quite freeing for people is if they get two in their head and they go i'm really craving sugar do you think that's my body telling me i need it maybe i'm not getting enough maybe it's bad for me and it's like 
look, buddy. Uh, no, you're, you're not deficient in sugar. That's not a thing. Um, so, we, you know, you can convince yourself of some silly things sometimes. But this whole, whole idea, you've got these horrendous people. Um, I won't name them because I don't know, um, you know, your your view, your sort of, I don't want to get you make you feel uncomfortable, but I call people out a lot. Um, but there's certain American doctors who are very, very famous who, who uh, you know, sugar's as addictive as cocaine. And it's like, oh, my goodness, the rubbish that you are spouting is unbelievable. Um, and the difference between, like, sugar, we do have this innate liking for it. Like, you are born with a pleasure center in your brain that lights up when you have sugar that's a you're a human so you know it and that's turned on to a to a lesser or greater extent in individuals but um you know and drugs will hijack those those centers but it's very different you know the the way to treat someone for a drug addiction is you remove that drug and then eventually that the dependence is removed when we go you know, people go, oh, um, you can get, you know, these animal studies where people are, you know, addicted to sugar. They show these addictive behaviors. What they do to those animals is they give them all of this junk food and this this kind of um, cafeteria diet, this high sugar. The other thing to bear in mind is a lot of people mix up sugar with high sugar, high fat. So they go donut sugar. It's like it's not sugar. Mm. Um, it's not a sugar cube. It's it's high sugar, high fat um which is a very different you know that that probably is addictive as cocaine you know you know that the, the the pleasure centers are much more activated by that but it's it's not addiction um it it does give us this this pleasure and it, there's um in the animal research the way that you can create those addictive behaviors is by removing it from them and then giving it back to them and they binge and i think that's a key thing with if you know, if we talk about methods to improve cravings, cravings, unfortunately, is a very, uh, it's not a, uh, a def defined term. Yeah. Um, so, but I think we're all kind of roughly aware of what we mean by it. And so one of the issues that you can have is the removal of sugar can lead to more addictive like behaviors and more binging episodes. Mm. Now, I, I, I came up with this phrase, which actually someone who's going on to do a, a research project actually was like, I'm going to use that with it as part of my kind of research project proposal, you know, it's to do with psychology, but your perception. So how you think of your perception of restriction dictates its impact. So if you're able to go, well, so let's you do the bad scenario first. I'm not allowed insert food, sugar or foods containing sugar versus, you know, I'm choosing not to have, so I'll use myself as an ex example. Um, I did a diet. I was eating porridge as one of the uh, meals. I, a friend was like, oh, have you ever tried, I think it was um, some sort of rice powder. I can't actually remember the name of it. It was like ground rice powder, but essentially um, you got it, you put some skim milk with it and you added some sugar and it basically created a porridge. Oh yes, I know what you're talking about. Uh, 
anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe I've I'm, kind of forgotten. I know. Exactly. We, I know I've forgotten the name. It's actually quite big in the States to eat. Um, okay. Anyway. And it tasted obviously absolutely amazing. I then found that obviously on those days I was having that one, I really just wanted to eat a whole lot more of that. Mm. And two, I was significantly hungrier um, as a result of it. And so I was like, ah, oh, I love that. I might have it occasionally when I really want it, but actually it's not suiting my goals. Mm. Um, so I'm going to choose not to have it. Th those two scenarios tell yourself two very, very different things. So I talk about this thing, unconditional permission to eat. And actually the, I talked quite a lot about that in my tour, Unconditional Permission to Eat. And it really was almost by accident. It was just yeah. my tour, I go on kind of like tangents and meander a bit like I probably am today. And that's just something that kept coming up time and time again. And it was the one thing when people come back to me and go, oh, my goodness. Like, and these are just people who have come to, if you think about this, a one day talk, like six to eight hours of just me talking. And, and really lots of it is funny and it's just to enthuse and to, to demystify nutrition and tell people what they should focus on for, for fat loss and health are the kind of two main topics. And people going six months later, hi, you don't know me, but I came to your talk in Melbourne and I've lost 30 kilos. And I'm like, what? And they're like, I'd done all these diets before, nothing ever worked, I've lost 30 kilos. And I was like, if, and she's like, thank you so much. And I'm like, I did nothing. I was like, there's no way this was me. And, she, and, you know, there's different people have said the same words to me. It's, mm. And even from my podcast, it's when you talk about unconditional permission to eat. And it's such a difference. Lots of people are kind of treading water and just like stuck in their tracks because they're in the very well-known um, binge restrict cycle. Yeah, yeah. And so... There is a big mental game. You can't just tell yourself, oh, I've got uncon unconditional permission to eat. I can eat any food I want. I'm just choosing not to. But deep down, you really want those foods and you're not eating them. Yeah. Like there's such a process. Like if in the world of eating disorders, um, really you want to not think about calorie restriction or any sort of dieting or body weight for like you want to have the good good behaviors and eating and not being obsessed with those things for like a year so it's like you need to park that goal for a year which is a tough conversation to have with someone um but that's in more of a clinical situation yeah. so it can be different but really if you flip your mindset and you go i don't need to cut out sugar sugar's not the enemy it's not the devil it's not bad for me mm. there's not these demonized foods that i can't ever have because like this is the problem is life happens and so there, there's interesting studies you know good good robust studies looking at this in terms of um well it's a whole area of research flexible um versus uh high restraint eaters versus more flexible eaters mm. and you know, we typically see people who are, have got these high restraint mentality faring worse. So there's there's quite a funnily named study called um, Eat, Drink and Be Merry Because Tomorrow We Diet. That was like the title of the study, which is such a random study. You know, normally it's like GLP-1 agonist. Yeah. You know, it's like really complicated. <laughs> this one is just like Eat, Drink and Be Merry Because Tomorrow We Diet. And essentially it looked at the... Um, anticipation effect of restriction so not even restricting the anticipation of tomorrow you're going to be restricted on your calories and then 
the basically what that does to your eating behaviors ahead of that time. And people with high restraint, so people who are quite stringent in their food rules and not eating flexibly and, and you know, think chocolate's bad for them, they will essentially do that thing, which a lot of, you know, I'm sure you have seen this. I'm starting the diet tomorrow, so I'm going to have dominoes and this, that and the other today. And really, you just put yourself two weeks behind because, you know, they, these people eating 8,000 calories and it's like, you know, you're going to create whatever, let's say a 3,000 or 4,000 calorie deficit over that week. Well, that 8,000 was two weeks worth of, mm, of deficit, yeah, for instance. Yeah, I would so say when, that yeah. is the biggest thing. I would see in 99% of clients who come to us is that restriction binge cycle or the very black and white eating. I'm either on mm. plan, off plan that, and it actually is the most detrimental. Yeah. And I would say, I think I'm hearing from you, like definitely, and what I would always say, we try to go by like an 80, 20%, 80, 20, but like, and if I see that a client, I'm looking at their, what they're eating and I'm like, wait a minute, like where, where's the the fun stuff, like, where is the sugar? Like, put that back in. Where is the other stuff that you did eat before? Otherwise, you're continuing that. Would you say that, like, summarizing it is just kind of... Yeah, like, you. I have this term of, like, too often nutritionists or, or coaches or whoever, they work with someone and we, they talk about habits. So it's like, you need you need to have lifelong habits and it's like lifelong habits of eating protein or lifelong habits of, of vegetables and lifelong habits of, and even some people sadly are like, oh, you need to learn how to calorie count. It's like, that's not a way to live your whole life. It's like, you might need a period of calorie counting, fine, yeah. but it's not a lifelong habit. No, definitely not for life. Encouraging. Um, but, but instead of coaching someone to diet, there always needs to be an element of coaching people to live. So even if you do your kind of cyclical dieting and, and kind of periodized dieting and like diet breaks in a diet break, well, let's look at, can we diet for two weeks? Can we eat, sorry, for two weeks, how we're going to eat for the rest of our lives? Let's see what happens. Yeah. Is this dieting phase? Because one of the points I that came into my head when you first asked this question is what can you do to reduce cravings? There was two things that will massively Im increase cravings um tendency to binge tendency to fall off plan if someone's got that black and white yeah. thing, is um pushing your body fat far away from set point so or it's, it's sort of settling point so people do need to bear in mind that if you get if you get really really lean or you've been dieting for a long time there are these very strong physiological um signals to your body like you look at a donut now at normal weight and then you look at a donut when you're very weight reduced and the you know if we do functional magnetic resonance imaging on your brain and and how much it's firing that donut like i said yeah looks more like cocaine than than a donut that it did at the beginning so it's that's one thing to bear in mind the other one is just then like general day-to-day -day hunger so you mentioned intermittent fasting Sometimes if someone does have some of these tendencies, it's better to not, uh, for some people not to practice these intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating. Yeah. Like I'm definitely not against them at all. I, I know lots of people have used them. I, I love it, but that's me. Mm -hmm. But some people need to think about hunger is going to push you towards more cravings. So, so something that people may be like, I don't know, uh, 
turn their nose up at, at a bit is like um eating before you're hungry sometimes and having quite a regular pattern of eating it's like oh you can be flexible eat whenever just use your app and track your calories and this that and the other and actually for some people it's just it's not the right thing so if cravings are something and sugar cravings are something it's like when you get more hungry you're you're physiologically going to want to reach for those things more so helping you do that and then the final thing i'll say is to go back to what you said kind of about 80 20 is Sometimes people have really bad trigger foods that if they just go, I can't eat that food. If I eat that food, I'll eat all of them. Like Krispy Kreme donuts. I keep using donuts. I don't know why. But, you know, or Hobnob biscuits is the is the one that was a, a real client scenario. If I eat one, I'll just eat the whole packet. And so they're like, I cannot eat that food. All that does is give that food a lot of power over you. So when life happens, as I was going to say earlier and went off on a different tangent when life happens like something happens bad at work something happens bad in your relationship your child's stressing you out whatever that food then becomes almost like this medicine and like kind of we start medicating emotions with food which normal eating if you eat when you're sad and it makes you feel better that's actually a sign of normal eating but if you eat when you're sad and it makes you feel guilty and then leads you to more restriction that's really really bad yeah um yeah so, so in this situation, there, there's a good um, argument for going to a client. I want you to eat a hobnob every single day. And they're like, you must be crazy. It's like, no. And because the problem is they go, oh, it's been a good day today. Why was it good? Because I didn't eat a hobnob. Oh, it's been a bad day today. Why was it a bad day? Because yeah. I ate a hobnob. Yeah. And you go, how do you feel? I feel really motivated today. I don't need the hobnob. I'm on top of the world. And you say to them, eat the hobnob. And they're like, what? I don't, do they have hobnobs in America? Basically, it's a chocolate biscuit. Yeah, just I know what they are, uh, but they are actually delicious. But yes, yeah. uh, I don't think we have them. <laughs> okay, so just like a, yeah, a um, chocolate biscuit. Um, but you say, eat the hobnob. And they're like, what? And you're like, eat the damn hobnob and do as you're told. That's not <laughs> how you talk to a client. But that's the thing. You say, just eat the hobnob today. And they're like, okay, they eat it. And they feel like, you know, I'm on top of the world. I've got willpower. They eat it. You know, they may end up eating a lot more of them. And you go, doesn't matter. We're sticking to the plan. Next day, eat the hobnob. I know, but I ate four and you only told me to eat one. Don't care. Eat one hobnob. Mm. Okay, they eat one. They eat three of hobnobs. Eat hobnob. By week, whatever, you know, by day 30, they have that bad day. They don't go, and this happens. Like the hobnob is no longer this this special thing that I can't have. It doesn't have this secret allure of like, it's this special naughty food. It's just like, it's just a hobnob. I have them every day. If you can get a client to that point, you, they are winning at life and you are winning as a coach. So, so there is an argument for just putting it back in every single day. And then, you know, eventually once it's just like, I'll have a hobnob when I want one or I don't want one fine, but it truly needs like the client has to be honest with themselves are they truly because sometimes you will get clients who lie to themselves like we all do yeah. it and they'll go yeah i'm ready to stop having the hobnob every day but they're not and it's though? just a process yeah. but yeah so that's my final tip on cravings brilliant well thank you so much today has been really great and uh it's been so good chatting with you i really appreciate it mm. yeah thanks very much i really enjoyed it